0: We're in first John chapter two, verses 28 through chapter three, verse 10, the practice of a believer. And so I'm going to read these verses. So uh, first John chapter two, verse 28 through chapter three, verse 10 says, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. or known him verse seven, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. And he is, as he is righteous, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And he goes on to talk about loving his brother. Uh, Father, we, we come to your word and we ask, Lord, that our hearts would be open. We ask that your spirit would teach us as we ponder what this apostle of yours said by your spirit. Lord, we, we pray that every false teaching, Lord, that our hearts have latched onto would be loosed, Lord, that every truth that you have for us would be grabbed onto and held tightly and protected. And we know this is all a work of your spirit within us and we so we just ask that you would help us now as we feast upon your word. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. As John is writing this, he loves the church. He loves them so much. And he is dealing with some very, very mischievous people who have come into the church and started teaching heresy. And they had actually walked with the apostles. They hung out with the apostles and they went out from them. And John had just told us recently when we just were in last week, said they went out from us, but they weren't of us. What had happened is they started to deny that Jesus Christ was the son of God or God in the flesh. And they also started to say, hey, you know what? You can live however you want, just as long as you have knowledge about God. But basically the knowledge you have about God really doesn't make a difference ultimately if how it affects your practice. And because this is flat out false, John takes basically 1 John in, 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 is combating this truth by reminding of the, the church of what they already know to be truth, what they have heard from the beginning. And because it's a flat out lie, he reminds them in chapter 1, and I'm not going to go through all the teaching again on this, but he reminds them that believers are those who walk in the light. We're defined as those who walk in the light. And as we walk in the light, we, we fellowship with other believers who are walking in the light. And as we are walking in the light, boy, our darkness is exposed. And instead of like the world who doesn't confess their sin, who says, I have no sin, that nothing's going wrong. We are those who then run to our savior, who run to Jesus and start to call out to him and say, forgive us. And, and John says, man, we have an advocate with the father. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to cleanse us and forgive us of all unrighteousness. And so believers run to Jesus with their sin as we're walking in the light. And we're also known as those who obey the word. We long to follow the words of our God, our Lord. And as we begin to walk with the Lord and we're obeying him and confessing, our lives start to mimic Christ like this. We look like Jesus more and more and more in our And our actions, our attitudes, and our thoughts, and all these types of things. We're Christians. We're little Christ, so to speak. Not in that we're deity whatsoever, but we are mimicking the one we love and who is living in and through us. And believers also grow spiritually. And John went into that a little bit. But believers also have an anointing in which he is obviously talking about the Holy Spirit. When one is born again, they're born of the spirit of God. God's spirit comes within them and all things in the past are gone and and all things become new. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And this spirit of God is in us and he teaches us concerning the truth. According to the word of God. And so as we're reading the word of God, um, the spirit is teaching us. And as we come, as we run into lies, as I was saying, we might not even understand how to get to the verses, but we know in our hearts as believers that something is off and the Lord teaches us and he brings us back. And John's just saying, listen, you know what you're hearing is off. Go back to the truth. Go back to the basis. Don't deviate, abide. And that's his heart. And so in verse 28, after saying all of this, and I really simplified it, verse 20 says, and now little children, all those little children of the Lord, right? Are those who believe. He says, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. John says, continue in him, in the Lord. Abide. Don't depart from the Lord, John says. And this word abide means to dwell. It means to stay. It means to be held and kept continually. That's what that word means. And this is where we get the word abode or, or home or dwelling. That's the idea. It's someplace where you are, where you stay, it's your base of operations. And and this is is what John's saying. He's saying, your home is in Jesus. You've had the gospel. You've been born again. Don't run away from him. Don't follow after all this other junk you're hearing. It's, It's not him. Be held continually in him, abide. Now, on the one hand, we know that the scripture teaches Uh, That the Lord absolutely, he's the one who causes us to will and do, but always mashed with that is this balance and the call for obedience. So he's right here. John is emphasizing what he already is heard from Jesus himself. Remember, John's not telling us anything new. It's important. You know, Matt doesn't have anything new from God to tell you. I'm telling you old truths, right? I'm just repeating what the apostles have already said. And of course, there's the inflection of culture and all this type of stuff. But John's just repeating what he heard in that upper room in John chapter 15 and obviously on the road with Jesus. John chapter 15, verses four through seven. I'll just read that section. He's speaking to the, 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 the disciples. Jesus is speaking to the disciples the night he's betrayed. He says, abide in me. And I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And Jesus gives us that picture; he gives the disciples a picture so they would understand what that abiding relationship looks like. And he does it with a, with a vine and, and the branches that come out of the vine that are supposed to pr- produce fruit. And so they're looking at a a, a vineyard here. That's what he that's he wanted them to picture. This he says, look at. Look at a branch. A branch can't do anything by itself. It's cut off and it dries up and it produces nothing. But if it's attached to the vine, what happens? It gets everything it needs from the vine. And as it's attached, it's receiving its life from the vine. As that relationship is is paramount, fruit starts to flow from that vine into the branch and it's exposed in the end product of fruit, of grapes, right? Right? This is why Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. In verse six, he goes on and says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is what? Thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. What do you think he's talking about there? The difference between a believer and a non-believer, the difference between someone who abides and someone who does not abide. That's it. Pretty scary stuff. Believers abide and they have life. Where's the life in Christ? Nonbelievers, they don't abide. What happens? They're cut off and they're burned in eternal fire. That's it. Clear picture of the difference. And we actually see this played out in, in the gospel of John because in John chapter 15, as Jesus tells him to abide, he tells them to abide like 11 or 12 times in John chapter 15. It's really important. He's like, abide, 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 abide. Guess who just left the room in John chapter 13? Judas. Who we know, John chapter 6, verse 64, somewhere around there, 54. Jesus knew from the beginning that he was not one who would abide. He knew from the beginning. But he already departed. So verse 7 there in John 15 goes on to say, if you abide in me, And my words abide in you. So he's giving you a little picture of what that looks like, that relationship of a believer. The word is what's feeding us, not just the study, but we're hearing and applying and responding to the word of God. He says, then ask what you want and it'll be done for you. Why? That you would bear much fruit to the glory of the father, the purpose of, of the branch is to bear fruit, so that the person who planted it and purchased it can enjoy the fruit of it. And what is the fruit? We talk well, fruits all over the Scripture, but in John's context here, it's purity, it's righteousness, it's love—the things that God has in that eternal relationship with the Son from before the, the worlds were created—that He has now come and purchased us to be a part of. Through the precious death of his son. And so there's that life-giving relationship between the disciple. And we could talk about prayer and all that type of stuff. you got a horrible prayer life. Abide, let the word abide in you, and start asking according to his will, and you're going to watch him answer those things. But and you can talk, you can go over to James and he talks about why you don't get what you want and all that good stuff. But but the word abide appears, you know, a lot. It's really important. Because that's how. The Lord defines our relationship with one. It's an abiding relationship with him. It's where our home is. It's where we dwell as believers. He is our home. And that relationship produces fruit. It glorifies God. Righteousness, purity, and love as he is in us and we are in him. But this is what John's repeating to these guys. To the the church. He's saying, abide. Abide stay put don't go off continue in the lord you got all these things pulling you in every direction jesus is it he's always been it run to him daily make him number one and this is a a war in my own heart in my own life every day to make him king let let him be who he is amen don't follow after the lies of these turkeys you know John says, abide so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. John says, if you abide, you're going to have confidence when the Lord comes. People are going to be in one of two camps at the appearing of the Lord. Those who shrink back in shame or those who have confidence when he appears. Confidence meaning uh, free and fearless confidence, cheerful courage, boldness. Assurance is another word. We sing blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Amen. One of the reasons why John's audiences might have become unsettled in their faith is they were starting to hear that the practice didn't need to match up with the preaching. The living it out didn't need to match up with what God had said. It doesn't really make a difference as long as you know God, however you lived is it's, you know, it's okay. Sloppy grace. Well, the spirit's not going to be settled in a person who's living like that. And actually someone who goes on living that John's going to make the case that you're not really, that's, that's not, you're not, you never were. But, Again, this is one of the lies that John is combating. That those who are teaching were saying that you can walk in duplicity with the Lord. You can walk in duplicity with the Lord. Again, John is combating that. That you can say you know God and yet practice what is contrary to his word and his will. John clears that up in verse 29. What does he say? If you know That he is righteous. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been what? Has been born of him. Wow. The life of a Christian is Christ-likeness and it is a life of practiced righteousness. The proof. uh, Well, I like what Pastor Damien Kyle said. Uh, He said, you can't separate the root from the fruit. (laughs) I think that's pretty... You know, where are you planted? Who? What kind of tree are you? Are you planted in Christ? And you can't separate that from the fruit that's going to come about in your life. Of course, um, the, the life of a Christian is Christ-likeness. It is a life of practice righteousness that flows from an abiding relationship we have in Christ. It's a work of God's grace in a believer. It's a work of God's grace in and through us. Amen? I mean, you know who you were before Christ and then... Christ comes into your life and all of a sudden you are changing and you're becoming more like Christ. I mean, he is doing an amazing job, right? Despite us half the time, all the time. But those who've been born again have been changed from darkness to light, from practicing unrighteousness, from being slaves to sin, from now being slaves to righteousness. There is something that has changed within us. We are practicing righteousness just as he is righteous. And so, Those who have assurance of of salvation are those who actually abide in Christ, who are living it out. And God has made it to where you become extremely uncomfortable and unhappy as a Christian, as you are not. It's his mechanism for drawing you close. (laughs) You know? Those who practice righteousness are going to have the spirit of God testifying in them that they're walking in the truth. And, And John wants his readers to have that blessed assurance, the love and the joy and the peace in their lives because they are born of God and they're walking in righteousness. Now John says, don't deviate from the gospel, the gospel that called us to repent and believe. Don't deviate from that, right? John speaks of this radical change that happened to a believer as we are now born again, he speaks of it. As we move to John, John chapter, First uh, John chapter three, verse one, he says, "See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called what? Children of God." And so we are, John says. I love that the Father has loved us with an unfathomable love. It is he has loved us to the point. That our sins have been paid for, and then he's given us his Holy Spirit. His son bled out and died a horrible death, that we might have life. We might have his imputed righteousness. We might be born again. We have been brought into his eternal family by his grace and his love. We've become his children. You have become his children, children of God. Think of your earthly parents. Think of your earthly parents and how influential they uh, are or were in your life. Think of, think of how that is played out in your life for better or for worse. How influential they have. All, all the, think of your mannerisms. Think of your laugh. Think of your habits. Think of uh, the things you react to, don't, how you view the world, all this type of stuff. You know, we've received a lot of this from our earthly parents, have we not? Or lack thereof. (laughs) But John says, man, you've been born again. You are now children of God. You've got a new parent. God is now your parent. And John says, this is what we are. This is what happened. A radical transformation happened in your life. You were born again. You were transformed. Your spirit has been made new through faith in Christ. Because of his great love. And John says there at the end of verse one, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. John's bringing up the point that by the very nature of this new birth, by the very nature that we are now children of God, there's been something that's taken place in our lives that makes us strangers with the world around us. We've now become aliens in this world. We're we're different. They don't know us anymore. John's speaking of this. John's bringing up the point that We've become strangers to the world we've come out of. And the world can't understand this, the relationship of the new birth, the, the believer to God now. They can't understand that child and God relationship. It's completely foreign to the world of what's happened. We've, we've become strangers to them, to the world. First Peter talks about this in this sense. 1 Peter 4, 1-5, through five, he speaks of it this way. He says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking forever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Same thing that John says, here's we're coming up, but so as to live for the rest of your time in the flesh, in your body, no longer for human passions, but after what? The will of God. That's what believers do. We follow after the will of God. That's what we're defined by now. We're going to get into that. But for the time Uh, that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. All the crud we used to do in the back, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking, parties, and lawlessness, idolatry. He says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. What is going on with you? How many of you were born again and you had a radical experience with God where he took you out of darkness into light? Yeah. And it's like, how many of you had friends go, why aren't you, what, is, what, what, what came Oh, he found Jesus. Okay, great. And they mock you. And that's what he says here. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Verse five but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Yikes. You see, we have become children of God. There's new life in us. There's new life in us. We've become strangers in a sense with this world now. And the reason they do not know us, John says is because they don't know him. We know each other. Our fellowship is with the Lord. We've been born again. Those of you believe, right? but the world doesn't really know us because they don't know our father. They're not part of the family. They're not family. We want them to be, but there's only one way in through the gospel of Jesus Christ. They haven't experienced his radical grace. They are strangers and foreigners when it comes to knowing God and his kingdom and his kids. John again is just quoting uh, what Jesus told the disciples back in John 1518 where Jesus tells them as he is about to depart he's going to say I want you to know what's coming you think that these people are going to the Jews that you're among are going to get you they're not the ones you came up and grew up with and all these types of things and the culture and you think they're going to embrace you they're not he sums it up to him verse 21 of John 15. He says, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. They are going to hate you. They will persecute you. And this is what he's saying, because they don't know me. If they did it to me, they're going to do it to you. The darkness does not like the light. And he says to them there, I'm jumping around the verses, it says, if. You were of this world, they would love you as their own. Boy, that's an indicator, isn't it? Does this world love you? Not that you're being obnoxiously rude, but by your light and by how you live, do you expose darkness? world doesn't like that. They don't know God. They don't know Jesus. They don't know you and that they are not family. But we, verse 2, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. He says we're children now. But when the Lord comes back, there's going to be another shift that happens. This is important to know because he's going to attach that to hope and how we live. But what John is saying here is that just as there has been a radical transformation in, in in your spirit, when you've become born again, when God has done that in your life, just as that has happened in you, there's going to be a radical transformation in your body that's coming up. When we no longer have, the body of death hanging around us anymore when our Matt 2.0 matches up with the spirit that is within me. Paul talks about this in many places, but 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the resurrection. And 1 Corinthians 15 49 through 53, Paul says, I'll do 48 here. He says, As was the man of dust, that's Adam so are also all those, uh, so are those who are of the dust, mankind. Just as Adam was, so are all of his descendants. And as is the man of heaven, Jesus, the second Adam, so also are those of heaven, believers. Just as we have been born in the image of man, Of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. In verse 50, he goes on to say, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable uh, inherit the imperishable. He's saying those born of Adam aren't going to make it strictly of Adam. There has to be a different kind of birth. This body, the person of the flesh is incompatible for the age to come there must be a transformation in your spirit, and then there'll be a transformation in your body. That's what he's saying. And Jesus demonstrated this, but but he says there, behold, verse 41, uh, 51, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, we not shall, shall not all die, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, for this perishable body must be Put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. John's talking about the resurrection, the moment when Christ shouts, and we are transformed, those who are alive and remain. And we can get into the teachings there in Thessalonians, but he's referring to the same thing here that John is that there's going to be a radical transformation. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like, we know it's coming but we're going to look like Jesus because we're going to see him and we're going to be like him. He's the forerunner. He's the first fruit. And, and, and what he is, we're, we're going to be also not in deity, but as the resurrection, he's, gonna, he's resurrected from the dead, had a body. We're going to be resurrected from the dead and have a body. That's what it's going to be like. He's saying that's coming. That is coming. Hallelujah. That is the full final act of our salvation. And we're finally redeemed from these bodies of death that drag us down that Paul talks about read Romans seven and chapter eight for review for extra credit this week. Have fun. So believers, we long for that day. Yes. We want to hang around and, and, and and be with one another and have kids and all this type of stuff that God gives. But the longer you live, the more I think in the Lord, you just Lord come Lord Jesus. (laughs) You know, I can't, man, this ship is going down. (laughs) And the one I'm in uh, here and the one around me, it's all going down and you're it. I can't wait. Bring your kingdom first in us and around us. I mean, Lord. Believers long for that day. And all believers have. John's expecting that day to happen. And so as every believer throughout the age, We, we long for the Lord's return. We long for him to come and set things straight. Truth and justice reigns where righteousness dwells inside and outside. <laughs> we long for that day. And John says, we don't know what exactly that's going to look like, but we know it'll be like Jesus. Back to verse three. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. There's a purifying effect upon the believer, upon the church. As we look to that day, we are like a bride waiting for the bridegroom. At any moment he could appear, and this is a Jewish picture of marriage where um, someone said they were going to get married. Well, there would be a period of waiting for the bridegroom to appear. It could be seven days where this bride is waiting in anticipation with all her bridesmaids. She's not out doing other things with her girlfriend. She's waiting and waiting for her husband to come grab her. She's being faithful to him. And that's the picture. The church is to be pure. It's to be unspotted, unblemished, waiting for our Lord, focused on our Lord, living righteously, waiting for his call, his shout. That's what believers do. We believe. He says, those who long to do that, you're going to, that's going to impact our daily life. And how often I forget that. How many of you have forgotten that in, in this season that we're in? I mean, we are starting to be reminded, hey, the Lord's coming back. We, we, we long for that. But I mean, impacting our daily lives of going, yeah, let's, let's walk. Let's have our lamps lit. Let's be ready. Waiting and longing for that day when we see him. Listen, if you're a believer and you love the Lord there's going to be that chaste purity that is manifested in us as we wait for him. But that's not what's being taught by these false teachers. That's not what's being taught by these false teachers who come in. What they were teaching was contrary to purity. What they were teaching was contrary to that. That you can live how you want to live. That, The gospel is here to make your life better for you. Instead of you lose your life and you actually find it in him. And who doesn't want to hear that, you know, God's on my side and and he's going to make me rich and I can live however I want. And, you know, that's what they were teaching. Contrary to a pure life, a life that exudes love and devotion to the Lord. They were saying, as long as you have knowledge, it doesn't matter how you live. Love is love. How many of you have seen that around? Love is love. No, it's not. It's what God says it is. He defines it. He made the rules. He created it. He demonstrated it. And it's all about his character. It's all about who he is. And love is not love when it violates his character. Stop. Listening to that stuff. Stop hearing that. That's not, that's a lie. But it sounds so good, doesn't it? No. You love the Lord? It's purity. It's righteousness. It's holiness. It's devotion. Those are good things. Virginity is mocked in our culture. Why is it mocked? Because we live in a wicked and perverse generation. God says, that's good. That's something to be kept. And I have a plan for you in that. It's called marriage. You know, the world doesn't care about that. Got their own definitions about stuff. And it's gotten way perverted. We all know these things. But we somehow have a, there can be a, a gospel that appeals to our flesh. We've got to be careful and listen to the Holy Spirit, not your emotions. Listen to what God has said in his word. Read it. And if it contradicts it, man, you just know that this is not what God has for you. Purity, righteousness, and obedience. Lord, cleanse me and cleanse us and, and maybe walk that way. Amen? By his grace. Verse four, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Lawlessness is sin. Sin is lawlessness. That's a great definition of sin. It is lawlessness. God created the heavens and the earth. He created the physical world. He put laws in place that he decided to put laws in place that obviously reflect his character and his order, as we learned in Romans. And guess what? Just as there are physical laws that govern this world, and there is a moral lo- law that exudes from his very being, his very essence. And it is pure and it is right and it is good and it is holy. And we find life <laughs> not by running against that. I tell you that. I don't want to get into the saved by the law thing. We're not saved by the law, we're saved by grace. But let me tell you a believer does not live in contradiction to his law. <laughs> And the sin is a violation of God's will. You know? Let me say that this world is lawless. I come out of lawlessness. By nature, I am lawless. Anyone else? Relating? This culture, this world we live in, it is entrenched in sin. Its systems, everything is built against God's character and his will and if we do obey it it's because it's convenient for us that's how it works ephesians 2 says that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins walking in them fulfilling the lusts of the flesh under the power and the influence of the enemy we know this but the world has a huge huge problem because god is going to bring about climate change on every person practicing sin It's coming. And the scriptures are clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is global warming coming. And it's not the one that they're telling you about. It's the one you really need to be concerned about because it never ends. God is just. And his justice is coming. But let me tell you, verse five. But you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. Jesus is the savior of all of us who are caught in darkness. He is, he's it. There's no sin in him. He came in, the light came to the darkness and he takes darkened, broken, sinful people and he gives them their life. He gives them life. Amen. Amen. Yeah, hallelujahs are are, are appropriate. God is also love and merciful, amen? But his love does not omit his justice. And so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe upon him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's God's means of mercy. That's God's means of grace in his son and his son alone. Amen? And that offers for anyone today. Paul, the apostle said, man, I am the chief of sinners. This is the reason why I'm the chief of sinners. I think why God chose me is because y'all don't have anything on me. That you would see how merciful God is. And if I was the one who was going around killing Christians and locking them up and taking them, splitting their families apart and doing all those things, if I was the Taliban of the day and God took me and then called me to be a minister of his gospel, what would he, what kind of mercy would he lavish on you? What mercy in Christ? No climate change for you who believe in Jesus. Jesus took it. The penalty on him. No judgment, no eternal fire. But see, that doesn't lead to a life of lawlessness. That leads to a life of devotion and love and purity to the Lord, to the one who saved us. Amen? That's worship. It's called worship. Romans 12.1. All right? It's our reasonable act of worship in light of the mercy of God. And Jesus came to take away sin for those who believe. And make no mistake, there's no sin in Jesus. Pure son of god in him is light and there's no darkness at all jesus is the anti-sin verse 6 no one who abides in him keeps on sinning no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him nor know, nor known or yet yeah, or know him now how many of you are squirming yes <laughs> Now, this is not saying that believers do not sin. We've got to read the first two chapters. What do we we read? If you say you have no sin, you're a liar. And the truth is not in you, right? Now, he's not saying, hey, go sin. We read that. He says, believers walk in the light. We confess our sin. We have an advocate with the Father. We read about that in John chapter 1 and John chapter 2, right? So, yes, believers do sin. But the term is keep on sinning. It's practice sin. In other words, that is, you're a slave to sin. Again, bad trees bear bad fruit. Good trees bear good fruit. You can't separate the root from the fruit, right? Believers practice righteousness. That's our aim, our desire, to worship God with everything we are and we have. Do we sin? Yes. Yes but it is no longer what defines us and what controls us. According to John here, but we're now slaves to righteousness. We have ceased from sin dominating our lives because of Jesus. Again, I would encourage you to read Romans 7 and 8. Go spend some time with the Lord. Read about 7, the wretched man you are, and the life by the Spirit in Romans chapter 8. It is the life-changing power of Jesus Christ over this body of death. The believer practices righteousness, but the unbeliever practices unrighteousness. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Again, this was the lie that John was combating from the false teachers. Verse 7, little children, let no one, what? Deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is Righteous. As he is righteous, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Jesus, no sin, never has, never will. The devil, sinning from the beginning. That's the devil's mode of operation. He is lawless. Jesus said of Satan in John 8:44, he was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in, in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. And then he turns around and tells the Jews who are there, he says, that's your father. Yeah. <laughs> and then they picked up stones you know, to kill him as he goes on there in eight, somewhere 858. The point being that those who practice righteousness are righteous as Jesus is righteous. And those who make a practice of sinning are of the devil. Now you might be sitting here this morning and by the grace of God, you are feeling the heat. You know that you are one who practices sin. And what you do not want to do is change what John is saying to match what you're doing. You want to let the Holy Spirit convict you of that sin. And what he's going to do is he's going to drive you to the only answer there is. That's Jesus. The one who saves us from our sin. Who breaks the power of sin of your life. Who breaks addiction. Who breaks all these things. Good news. Good news for you. And if you're feeling the heat, the reason, John continues on here, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. How many in your life have were one way and then Jesus came in and he destroyed the works of the devil in your life? And, you know, there's a, absolutely, there's a once, like some of you like, boom, like he just blew it up and, and there's some radical changes how many of you has he been continually destroying the works of the devil in your life yeah he's been continually to sanctify you continually making you like Christ so not only does he blow up the big ones but he also sanctifies you over time to make you more like Christ and people witness that but that is a it's a witness to the world around us as the lord changes us from Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And his forgiveness is offered to all who would humbly come and respond to his spirit. And he will pardon you right now. I love that. He didn't send his son to keep you at an arm's distance. He came to call sinners to be saved. Jesus died in the place of our sin fulfilling God's righteous requirement of the law. The soul who sins shall die. Jesus died on the place of those who do not deserve it. And then he justifies us. That means that Christ's righteousness, his sinlessness gets imputed, gets put on your account. Undeserved, unmerited favor. He makes us white as snow before God. What love. Just You know? If you're feeling far away right now and and you're in all these places, man, God is calling you to come to Him now. And it's through Jesus Christ. And His arms are open wide. Fall down. Believe that He died and rose again. He will make you new, give you life. This is what God requires of you to believe upon Him whom He sent. Believe. And that believe is, is, is action. Turning from and turning to. Verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. But this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one God does not love his brother and so John is going to wrap back around and say you're going to walk in purity you're going to walk righteously and you're going to it's going to be manifested in love for your brothers around you your brothers and sisters amen so John shifts us back to love next week which we'll get into pretty fascinating actually so let's bow our heads before the Lord amen Lord uh when we handle your word it's it's a sharp two-edged sword it cuts and it heals and so Lord, uh, where you've cut, Lord we we call out and we ask for your healing and your forgiveness and your cleansing. Lord, we want to be a pure bride for you. may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Lord, if you were to appear. Before us now, Lord, would we shrink back or would we run towards you in confidence? And Lord, you are our righteousness. You are the only means of us (laughs) having a chance whatsoever. We understand that. But in our heart of hearts, Lord, as you have called us to abide, Lord. Lord, as that one guy cried out, uh, help me with my faith. (laughs) Lord, may we run to you. May you cleanse us and may we walk purely and these issues in our lives where we, where your Holy Spirit is zeroing in on the areas that need to be confessed and repented of and moved on from. May we not disregard you. So we, we respond in your spirit. And Lord, may you give us your joy as you promised and that testimony of your spirit in our heart as we walk in the truth. We love you. I love you so much. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen.